Good morning, listeners. Welcome to my new podcast called Best Brother in the World. The only podcast where you'll find that the host, Savannah McKay, will be played by her brother, Tyler Hughes. So without further ado, let's get started, shall we? Good morning, everybody. I am your host, Savannah McKay. And joining me today is my smart and wonderful, genius and absolutely perfect in every way brother, Tyler Hughes. Hello, everybody. For those of you who don't know, Tyler, my brother, is a nine-year Navy veteran. And I have asked him to come on and, well, to relay his experiences. So, Tyler, why don't you introduce yourself? Um, hi, yeah, well, like Savannah said before, I'm um, Tyler Hughes, I'm her brother. I spent nine years as a Navy corpsman uh, from 2010 to 2019. Uh, for those who aren't familiar with the term Navy corpsman, uh, corpsmen are pretty much um, the entirety of Navy's enlisted medical services. So any of your techs, any of your medics, any of your, you know, just regular hospital staff, um, corpsmen are the ones that fulfill that, depending on what you end up specializing in. A little bit of my background, I actually, I joined the Navy to be a corpsman. Um, my dad had told me about that, that job as a medic in the Navy that is attached with the Marine Corps and provides the Marine Corps for all the combat medicine needs and all that all that good stuff. Um, so I went into the Navy recruiter's office and, um, well, I signed up uh, and I went to boot camp in January 2010 under a rescue swimmer contract. Uh, so not even under a corpsman contract. Uh, I'll blame the smooth talking of the recruiters for that one and uh, my ignorance, but whatever. Um, as soon as I got into rescue swimmer school, I realized pretty quick that I really did not want to do that. Um, so I dropped and I picked up a corpsman contract, which was, was pretty fortunate that I was able to do that after dropping from school. Um, the Navy is pretty stingy with their money and their schools and schools cost money. So anyway, um, as soon as I picked up that contract, I went to Great Lakes, Illinois, which is out, I don't know, maybe an hour train ride outside of Chicago. Um, it's also where boot camp is, so I left boot camp to go to this rescue swimming school in Pensacola, Florida, only to turn back and go right back to the same place for Corman A School. Now, A School is just your regular job school, so whatever, whatever overall job you do in the Navy, you go to an A School, literally just the letter A. And then school. Honestly, I don't know what it stands for. If it stands for anything, maybe it's just uh, sequential. Like anyway, doesn't really matter. <laughs> so I graduated Corman A School, and I went to another school called Field Medical Training Battalion, and that's where Corman go to learn how to do combat medicine, which is what I did most of my career. Um, to do combat medicine and uh, be attached with the Marine Corps. Now, the Marine Corps is a part of the Navy, um, technically. They joke and say it's the men's department of the Navy. Um, I would tend to agree, but that's neither here nor there. Um, but anyway, so I went to that school in order to do that. And from there, I went to Okinawa, Japan, uh, where I was with 9th Engineer Support Battalion. Now, the engineers... Combat engineers, they like to build stuff, they like to blow stuff up, um, and that's kind of their role. Uh, their role is to make sure that people can get to where they need to go, meaning the infantry can get to where they need to go, um, by removing obstacles like mines or IEDs or anything like that, and also for providing, you know, shelter and sustainability measures. So that's, you know, water and sanitation and, and, hard shelters and, and things like that. So that's uh, so that's where I ended up first. And with them, I went to Afghanistan in November 2011, actually on my 21st birthday is when I landed. Um, and 
gotta say it was, you know, it was a fairly good experience. Um, our mission was primarily clearing IEDs from big stretches of road and redoing the road. Um, so the infantry could walk and the vehicles can get to where they needed to go without getting blown up. Um, along the way, we did a lot of work for the villages that we passed through. Um, you know, we, we dig out ditches for the villages or repair, you know, simple structures or just whatever little work the villagers needed. Um, yeah, I mean, and that's, that's pretty much what that was. Um, me specifically, I was attached to, um, a squad of Marines that were tasked with providing security um, for those convoys of of, of workers. Um, yeah, and so that's pretty much what I did. And I came back in 2012, you know, and left Okinawa and went to went to a hospital it, to work in Portsmouth, Virginia. Um, Now, Portsmouth, for those who have never been to that wonderful area of Virginia called Hampton Roads, that's the Virginia Beach, Norfolk, uh, Portsmouth, um, Hampton, Newport News, that Chesapeake, all that area, it's all called Hampton Roads. Um, Portsmouth is industrial because of the Navy presence and very poor also because of the Navy presence. Uh, and it's kind of the stinking armpit of Virginia. There's nothing, uh, honestly, there's no redeeming factor for Portsmouth. So um, if you can stay away from there, I would highly recommend it. Uh, but that's where I went. I went to Portsmouth, and as soon as I checked into the hospital, they put me in charge of a phlebotomy clinic. Or, um, yeah, um, or just that section of the lab, which I had really no experience other than knowing how to draw blood and all of that, just from basic Gorman training. Um, had no experience working in a lab whatsoever. Um, and it was, I mean, it was interesting and it was a good learning experience. Um, but that's, that's kind of what the Navy does is, is they see a, a need and they throw in the most likely candidate um, that will succeed and it's usually somebody that doesn't have any experience doing it um, for whatever reason probably just manning and uh, the high turnaround in the, in the Navy but um, anyway so I did that for a year and some change um, from there while still at the hospital I went and um, I was actually a personal trainer for that command, which I didn't realize was really something I could do in the Navy. And that was a lot of fun, but it was not something I wanted to pursue. Um, and I left there after a year, still in the hospital, and went to another clinic um, where I managed a clinic. You know, whatever. Um, didn't deploy at that time. Um, I was there for three years, and... Every month, I tried to submit a, pack a package to deploy, and um, yeah, just never happened. Um, so from there, I went to 3rd Battalion, 6th Marines, which is an infantry unit, and from there, I deployed on what's called a Marine Expeditionary Unit. Pretty much, you put a bunch of Marines on a boat, have them float around. Um, the MEW, as it's called, is supposed to be kind of the first response to anything crazy that comes up. Um, however, since a lot of crazy things don't come up, uh, you do a lot of training and a lot of, um, exercises with friendly nations, um, to kind of fill your time. Um, so we, you know, we did a lot of work with Spain and with Oman and with, um, those in Djibouti, Africa and, um, and other places too. Um, and it was a rewarding experience. Um, in hindsight, it's a rewarding experience in the, in the middle of it, it actually really sucked. Um, but I'll get into that later. Um, and yeah, so I came back from that deployment and I went to, well, I left three, six, third battalion, six Marines, and I went to another engineering, um, 
battalion where honestly we just did a lot of training and I, I went to school. I went to college while I was in. Um, and from there I got out. So that's uh, kind of my experience um, in the Navy. Uh, I got out of the Navy in January 2019 um, while I was in North Carolina. And I moved back down here to Melbourne, Florida um, probably that summer. Uh, I was bartending and going to school while I was up there. Um, and I, as soon as school ended um, up there in North Carolina, I packed up and I started school down here the next, the next week. Um, it ended on a Friday and I started school down here on a Monday. Um, so literally packed up, came down here, started school. Um, that's just kind of how the schedule worked out. Um, and now since I've been down here, so I'm single dad of two kids, um, just been raising them, going to school, uh, and work in various jobs, construction, administration stuff. And, um, I've been a handyman for quite some time and, uh, yeah, that's what I've been doing to kind of pay the bills and it's been stressful trying to balance all of that. Um, while raising two kids and being in school, but, um, let's see, Friday, what is today? Oh, today's Friday, so this last Friday, um, I finished school completely, so, um, I'm done, um, I have my bachelor's in public administration, um, which I guess I can get into that later as to why I picked that, uh, and yeah, so here I am, um, kind of enjoying being out, um, Missing my experiences, missing the people that I met, um, but overall kind of enjoying where I'm at now. Oh, that's so wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. I'm so pleased to hear about your experiences, and I'm sure everybody was edified from that five minutes of rambling. Anyway, um, tell us about your transition. How was it transitioning into and out of the military? Did you feel prepared? Either way, going into the military or going out. Tell us, tell us. Uh, well, transitioning into the military was it was definitely interesting. Um, when I went in, I was a very skinny, kind of timid kid. Um, so it was, it was interesting going into boot camp and all of a sudden everybody's yelling at you and making you do physical things, which I'm not, wasn't really used to. I definitely was not a sports kid. I was a theater kid, um, which I'm sure most of you can tell by um, how your host sounds right now, or hostess, rather. Uh, but eventually, um, because it's a very... I don't know, very specific, but at least consistent um, culture and experience going into the military. You kind of get used to it. Um, transitioning out was a lot harder. Um, so you stay, for me, I stayed in that, that, that environment for nine years, and it's a very structured, very you-know-what-you're-doing kind of environment. Even when you're not doing anything, you're very aware that you're not doing anything and no one's trying to hide that, you know, you're just there to sit around. Um, so at least you know where you stand. Um, you know where you stand with everybody else because there's a rank structure. Um, it just kind of makes the socializing kind of easier. You know who you're kind of on equal footing with and, and well, who in that culture you're not. Um, so... There wasn't a lot of, in terms of having to socialize and, you know, kind of find your way in that world, there wasn't a lot of thinking involved because um, it was all kind of laid out there for you. It was like, these are the rules, just follow the rules and you'll advance, you'll be fine. Just, you know, just don't be an idiot. You'll be all right. Um, transitioning out was a lot harder. Um, one, because... The people that are giving you advice on transitioning out are people that have never transitioned out of the military. Um, now, there is a class of people who, you know, come in and they're civilians. They're people who do this professionally, um, but that's a week-long course. Um, most of the quote-unquote advice you get is from the people you work with, the people who have been active duty 
their whole entire adult lives and have no clue what they're talking about. Um, so transitioning out has been a lot harder. Um, I think the hardest thing is when you when you leave the military, um, typically you don't. Well, a lot of people stay in that town, but a lot of people don't because the the um, economy that's built around military bases um, is very dependent on the rotating nature of the people that live there. So, meaning the military that brings in, because they only stay there for a couple years and then they're off to somewhere else, usually. Um, so, I mean, yeah, there's there's that economic opportunity, but it's not it's not quite like a like a city, you know, where where things are consistent and and there's established, you know, real established businesses and careers and all sorts of things like that. Um, unless you decide to work on base, which I did not want to do. Um, so when I left the military, I I came back here to Florida, leaving all my friends. Um, I had been away from Florida for ten years, and all of my friends had moved away, uh, the ones that I knew. Um, so having to rebuild that community was was really really difficult, and honestly. I'm not going to lie, I haven't made many friends since I've been here. Um, and I attribute that to when you come out of the military, you're at a different, you're kind of at a different point in your life. You know, you have different experiences than the people your age. Um, you've experienced a lot of hardships. You've experienced a lot of hard work. Um, you've experienced a lot of traumas uh, oftentimes. Um, which is a very differing experience than people who have stayed in town have experienced, you know. Um, and even the things that are normal for regular, you know, civilians are not normal for the military, you know. Um, for those that didn't go into the military, you you leave high school and you're responsible for college, and you have to deal with student loans, and you're just getting into crippling debt because, well, that's just how the system's set up for you, um, you know. And then you find a find a job, and then you're renting and renting and renting and saving up as much money as you can to try to find a house and buy one. And once you do that, because it's been such a pain in the butt to get there. You've kind of planted yourself there. Um, for the military or in people getting out of the military, it's really not that experience at all. It's, you know, there's this huge safety net when you're in. So, you, I mean, you really can't fail while you're in. You know, as soon as you graduate boot camp, you go, you go to a school, you're given free housing, you're given free food. I mean, you're given a tiny, tiny, tiny paycheck, but all the things that you need are provided for you, you know, um... So people in the military at first really don't have that struggle bus kind of experience in terms of finances and, and working around this weird system uh, that we have. Um, instead, you have, you know, you have other stressors like deployments and always working, always being busy, always, you know, in this very structured, rigid environment. Um, whereas when you're a civilian, you, you leave your parents' house and you have complete freedom. Sorry, I had to, uh, go shut my dogs up. They were, uh, barking like crazy at the UPS guy. Anyway, uh, so where was I? Uh, freedom, where was I going with that? Yeah, I really don't know where I was going that with that. Um, bottom line, um... People that went into the military and people that don't just have very different experiences, and it and experiences shape your personality. You know, the, the experiences shape your worldview, how you see the, you know, how you see everything around you, um, and eventually that rift gets you know larger and larger and larger as you know civilians have this this trajectory of what their experiences typically are that goes you know we'll say to the left, and the military. You know, their experiences, they, it all goes to the right. And, and that 
that gap just keeps getting bigger and bigger. Um, so it, it's really hard relating to relating to people whose experience is, in, is entirely different than yours. You know, um, you you know you see the same things, um, but you look at them entirely different. You know, it's not like it's not like relating to somebody who's you know foreign. You know, is from a different country. You know, they don't necessarily see the same things. So you're curious, like, oh yeah, what do you see? You know, what what experiences do you have, as opposed to you know, you come back home and you're seeing the same thing. And you're like, okay, I know what experiences, you know, I know what you're experiencing because I'm, I'm looking at it too. Um, but you completely don't think of the things the same way. So it's a lot, I, don't know, I think it's a lot harder to really relate uh, to people once you get out. Um, also, the military has its own culture uh, and it's very crass. It's very rude. It's very... Um, well, honestly, it's really unhealthy, <laughs> if I'm being completely honest. But um, but regardless, it's it's something that that you get so used to, and nobody else acts like that. You know, um, actually, the the friends that I've made out here all just happen to be, you know, I've I've met them at bars, and they all just happen to be in the military or were in the military. Um, and, you know, I didn't become friends with them knowing that. We just happened to hit it off, and it turned out that, oh, yeah, everybody. Yeah, okay, everybody kind of has these same experiences. So you kind of gravitate towards each other. Um, but anyway, transitioning out. So the social aspect has been the hardest. Um, what's been good, however, has been the fact that I get paid to go to school. Um, so everybody, if you serve honorably for four years or so, you get, you know, you get your GI bill, which one pays for tuition and two gives you extra money to help with living expenses as well. Um, so that's been wonderful. You know, um, that's something that's really helped the transition. Um, COVID kind of screwed everything up, um, because a lot of what helps the social aspect um, for veterans getting out is going to college and is being in person going to college. Um, but since COVID, everything's you know online, so you don't actually get to meet any new people. So uh, the age of COVID really sucks for uh, people transitioning out of the military. Um, so yeah, that, I mean, that's what's been good. Um, yeah. Um, but to answer your question, um, I thought I was prepared, but I really wasn't. Um, because how do you really teach, you know, people how to build that social network once you, once you get out and get established somewhere else? You know, it's, it's not really something you can teach. But uh, otherwise, you know, in terms of how to be successful, I think, you know, I think now... Um, the military does a pretty decent job of doing that. Oh, wow, that, uh, that sounds like a lot. That sounds like a lot for, for anyone to handle, really. Um, well, tell me, how, how do you think that that, that that experience, the transitioning, your time in the military, all of that, how do you think that affected your mental health? If I can be so bold as to ask. Uh, that's a very deep question. Um, the short answer is I feel like it affected my mental health adversely. Um, sort of. You know, I, I, I think my experiences definitely helped in some areas and did not help in other areas. Um, a very, very common... Um, experience for veterans getting out is uh depression lots of depression and alcoholism um and a lot of that i think stems from the culture of the military at least the alcoholism uh in the military you i mean really a lot people drink a lot a lot a lot a lot um to a very sickening degree um and people don't really grow out of that. I mean, it, 
you know, if you think about college, you, you know, you have your party years and, you know, you get into drinking and then you get into drinking a lot. But then, you know, your responsibilities kind of catch up. But in the military, it, it seems like people don't really grow out of that. I mean, they do on their own eventually. Um, but single Marines and sailors, you know, they'll they'll still be 30 years old going out to bars, getting really, really, really drunk and showing up really, really, really hungover the next day to work. Um which I think is a kind of a differing experience than than what the rest of the population um, experiences in terms of alcohol use. Um, and I think that's a real detriment. I mean, well, I won't, I won't go further into that. Um, but I, I, I do think that it, that does hinder a lot of people getting out, and I think that's what that's a factor that contributes to, you know, rampant alcoholism uh, when you get out is the fact that, well, you were always an alcoholic. You were just a happy alcoholic because you're around all your friends. But now, you know, you, you get out of the military, you get away from your social network, and you're still drinking. And when you're depressed, drinking just makes your depression a whole lot worse. And um, you see a lot of people killing themselves. Um fairly fairly soon after they get out of the get out of the military um and i think a lot of it is because of that i think a lot of it is one you you know you don't have friends around you and you don't have that network two um a lot of times you're starting from the bottom again you know you're starting like you just graduated from high school so you're going back to college with all these 18 year olds and here you are you know for me, I was 28 when I, 28, 29, I actually don't remember how old I was, I'm 30 now, whatever, that's math, a lot of good college did, anyway, I was an age um, that wasn't 18, you know, I was a good 10 years apart from everybody else, and it, you know, it seemed like I was taking a big step back, because one, here I am, you know, in class doing the same thing at the same kind of point in life, um, as all these people that just got out of high school, but also it's 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 like your experiences don't really matter in that in that weird transitioning stage. You know, for me, I did you know nine years in the Navy. Um, I did a lot of foreign relations work. You know, I managed a lot of injuries. I've seen a lot of people die. I've I've mentored people, I've grown people up in their careers and done all this stuff, and now I'm back in school, and it's, uh, well, it means kind of nothing. Um, so that's, you know, that's, that's really hard for a lot of people. It kind of it makes people feel like they don't really have a purpose, um, and that, the whole not having a purpose thing, um, that I think is a real big, real big contributor to um, the depression and suicide rates. Um, because in the military, you know what your purpose is. Ultimately, you know what your purpose is. And you have a career path and you have goals. You know, even if you're not really into them and not really thinking about them, you could still say, well, whatever, I could at least, you know, I could at least do something to promote, you know, I could at least get the next higher, you know, next higher pay grade, you know, at least make some more money. And you, you know, you have these small goals, um, but when you get out, you know, there's no direction. There's none of that. There's no, okay, what am I? It's you're having to re rediscover that all over again. And for people that haven't had to think about that at all for, you know, 10 plus years, that's hard. You can't just turn that that function right back on, you know. Uh, so it takes a lot of time and it's, it's, it's really hard. Um, however, I think all of that can be overcome with strong community. Um, yeah. So to answer your question, I believe those experiences, uh, kind of had an adverse, um, effect on my mental health in terms of that, you know, um, on the other hand, things that are good, I don't necessarily care about people, not, not in a way like, oh, I don't care about you, but you know, I'm not, I'm not overall, you know, concerned with what people think. I'm okay with just being who I am, um, which was not something that I started out with. I'm a lot more confident. I know I'm a lot more confident in 
you know, me and who I am, but I'm also a lot more confident in my abilities, like my work abilities, or being able to learn or, you know, pick up new tasks, which that is pretty common for people coming out of the military too, as people are very flexible and kind of easy to teach. And, um, yeah, and kind of just are okay with doing whatever you need. Um, so I, I think that's that's one way where the military has helped um, my mental health, or at least my mental, you know, my mental and emotional abilities. Um, so it's not all bad is what I'm getting at. Um, well, do you feel like you've received enough support to help you get through these these definite challenges of transitioning um support from from who what, what do you mean through through the military through the va through through what well from the way i understand it the military doesn't really have anything to do with you after you're done so i would assume the uh the va or the department of veterans affairs well um First off, I don't necessarily believe it's their responsibility to hold your hand through the process. I think it's, I think it's their responsibility to make sure that resources are available, but to expect a big federal government entity to hold your hand through everything is, is well, not realistic and kind of stupid. Um, I will say this through my experience and my, we all have to do a class, a week long course, um, transitioning to get out of, before they even let you out of the military. Um, so you have to do that. And they always tell you to find a support network. Um, and I feel like a support network and a community right after, as soon as you get out, is what is key to a successful transition. Um, now, might should there maybe be some entities to help the people that are not very good at that sort of thing? Because uh, honestly, you get a lot of socially awkward people in the military too. Um, maybe, maybe. But for me personally, I think that the support is available... Um, or at least the advice is available. Uh, they tell you what you need to succeed. It's just on to you, on you to do it. Um, I think that my choices made it a little bit harder um, in that when I... The school that I, that I attended while here in Florida, um, it was pretty much entirely for... Older people who are, you know, kind of, they're already set in their careers and now they're just um, looking to get a degree so they can get a promotion or something, you know, things similar to that. And it's a lot of people that retired from the military um, but are much older, you know. Um, I mean, I wouldn't say much, much older, uh, probably like 10, 10, 20 years older than me. Um and those those people have you know their own lives um and aren't so so much um up for hanging out after class it's also night class so people people that age in my age man i don't want to go out at night you know it's eight o'clock it's my bedtime but classes are supposed to end at 10 you know <laughs> so so people go to work and then they go to school and then everybody's tired so there's not much socializing done there um, and you know that was my that was my choice, um, and yeah, I mean that was my choice. Um, what was I getting at? Regardless, I think that the support is available, or at least the advice for what you need for support is available. Um, it just depends on whether you do it or not. Yes, I want to. Uh, I want to come back. You, you mentioned the VA. Well, I mentioned the VA as well. We both mentioned the VA. 
What are your experiences with the VA since you've been out? I mean, we've heard a lot of horror stories in the news. Um, veterans dying while waiting for care and all of that. Blah, 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 blah. Um, but what what are your experiences? Um, I think overall, I've had a good experience. Um, here's what I'll, what I'll say about the VA. Well, here, let's go back. So the VA takes care of all your veterans' programs and benefits and all sorts of things like that. Um, there's the healthcare side. So uh, VA healthcare is actually the largest healthcare system in the United States. Um, I think they have over 9 million, um, I don't know what you call it, beneficiaries um, or you know people that they take care of, just the healthcare aspect. Um, and I think they have over 150 hospitals over the United States and its territories. Um, so they're a pretty busy and, and big entity. Um, but that's, that's the healthcare aspect. And, you know, not every veteran gets healthcare. I'll get into that later. Um, they also have the benefits side, which is like your education and employment benefits, um, like the programs, um, or, you know, your GI belt that pays for school. Um, or trade schools or anything like that. Um, and they also take care of the national cemeteries. That's another thing they do uh, is the national cemeteries. Um, yeah. So um, that's kind of what they're responsible for. My experience has largely, obviously not the cemetery part because I'm, you know, alive, um, but also, my experience has largely been with the healthcare side, um, with a smaller degree, the educational benefit side, both of which have worked out very well in my favor. And I think that people who are kind of on top of their own stuff, like on top of their own healthcare, um, and on top of their own um, enrollment and figuring out what they need to do for school and all that stuff, um, and engaged, that the VA works really well for them. Um, also I will say for the healthcare aspect, that large, your experience largely depends on where you're at, um, because each clinic has different, you know, workloads, each clinic has different staff, each clinic has its own different, I mean, yeah, there's the big, you know, overall culture and goals and ethos of the VA, but there's also still, you know, the local population, how they see veterans and and how well they, t you know, how they view their job. Um, for me, I've done all of my care in Vieira, um, in Vieira, Florida, and that clinic is amazing. Um, I've gotten everything I needed. Um, and the things that they didn't have, like for me, was a dermatologist. They paid for me to go out into town um, to see a dermatologist because there wasn't one close to me. That, that was that was a VA employee. Um, so the healthcare side um, has been really good. I mean, I get free I get free mental um, healthcare. You know, uh, the only thing I don't have is dental, um, but I take good care of my teeth, so it doesn't really matter. Um, yeah, so it, it's been a good experience for me. Um, but I will also say that not everybody gets that. Not everybody gets health care. So the people that get health care are people that served in combat, like in actual combat roles, um, people that have um, service-related disabilities, um, World War I veterans, um, if there are any still alive, I don't even know, but I know all World War One veterans get, you know, VA healthcare. Um, and also people who are medically retired or, or other things like that. Um, so not every veteran gets to use VA healthcare. And honestly, transitioning out of the military and, and then having to figure out this whole, you know, privatized healthcare uh, system is a lot. Um, I, I think I would probably have lost my mind 
if I had to do that. So I'm, I'm personally, I'm very blessed uh, in my experience. I've had a very good experience. Um, but I also will submit that a lot of veterans don't get to have that experience. Um, yeah. Uh, the education side, um, honestly, I've been very blessed with that too. Um, I never really had to deal with the whole trying to figure out financial aid and all that stuff. Uh, a lot of schools and a lot of military-friendly schools have financial um, liaisons, you know, finan financial aid liaisons that kind of take care of all of it for you. I mean, you have your student advisors, you have your financial aid advisors, and they kind of tell you what to do. They put together all the paperwork. All you have to do is sign and give them the documents that they ask for, and they kind of just take care of it for you. Um, it's it's honestly amazing. Um, and I also know that people who weren't in the military do not have that experience whatsoever, whatsoever, especially people that have already started their careers and aren't trying to go back to school. Um, cause then you're having to pay an obscene amount of money, um, to go back into school and, and get an education. And there's really no financial aid for people that have already had their, you know, kind of careers established. Um, so yeah, I've had a good experience, but I will say that not everybody has a good experience. Uh, yes, if we could, if we could go back again, uh, if we could go back and talk more about, um, veterans who don't get health care. Um, now I know you listed the reasons why you would get health care and all of that. Uh, sorry, I'm going to cut you off. My lawn guy is uh, blowing leaves off my back porch real quick. Um, so I'm going to pause this. Uh, and the audio will sound really messed up, but uh, I also don't want all this background noise. So one second. Okay, we're back. And the lone guy, I believe, is gone. Oh, oh, thank God. oh he started up again. Is he going in the backyard? Whatever. We'll, we'll keep pushing. We'll keep pushing. Okay, so go back and tell me about veterans who who don't receive uh, VA health care. Why they don't receive it. I know you talked about ways that you can, but tell me about why um, why a lot of people don't. Oh, yeah, of course. Um... So, like I said, um, people who do not have, who have not been in, in an actual combat environment, which is very common, um, uh, people, there's far less veterans who are actually involved in combat than, than you think. Um, most of the military is support roles on people that never really um, get into that environment. Um, so, that's very common. Um, and there are those that receive um, a disability rating, meaning they go through your record and see how they broke you physically and mentally. Um, and they give you money pretty much saying, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> and people with those, um, they receive health care. So it's based on a percentage, um, you know, percentage of how much of you is broken. Really, it's a percentage of how much they're going to pay you from your, you know, the paycheck you had when you were, you know, leaving the, the military. Um, and at the fifty percent mark, the VA provides all your health care. Um, but before that mark, um, hold on, sorry, I'm a little gassy. Not from the back end, but burping. That was my drink anyway. Anyway. Sorry, I got distracted. Um, oh, gosh, what was I saying? Uh, oh, yeah, before the 50% mark, um, you are able to receive care for only what your service-connected disability is. So if you have bad knees and you get 20% for that, then you can only go to the VA to take care of your knees, you know? Or for, you know, that for an example. Or if you have anxiety uh, and they give you 30% for that, you can only go see mental health to deal with your anxiety. 
Um, and that's how they do that until you get to the 50% mark. And then you can just go to the VA to, you know, for whatever, you know, I have a cold or, or my butt is itching uncontrollably for a month and I can't get it to stop. Um, you know, things like that. Um, and in order to get that, that rating, you have to apply for it. So what you do is you gather your medical records and you submit paperwork that says this condition, this condition, this condition all started and was caused or was made worsened by my military responsibilities. Um, and you have to essentially prove to a, a panel of, you know, of raiders and, you know, doctors and other professionals um, that this was, in fact, service-related, that it was your military experience, your military responsibilities that caused or worsened this condition. And from there, they'll, um, they'll either award you a percentage or they'll award you nothing or they'll deny it altogether. Um, a funny thing that you can be awarded a zero percentage, so... They'll say, yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, that was made worse by the military, but we're not going to give you money for it, but you can go, you know, see, um, you can go to the VA for it. You can get treatment for this. Um, so that is one thing that can be done. Um, but ultimately, that's the responsibility of the person getting out um, is to get all that paperwork together. Now, um, this is what they've started doing recently. Um, they... As a part of your checkout process, uh, you have to go um, at least to the office that make that does the claims, um, and either you have to make a claim or you have to specifically deny, you know, you know, or specifically say that you are not making a claim, and the office has to sign off that you're not making a claim before you can leave the military. Um, that's new. And the reason they're doing that is because a lot of people get out of the military um, with all their problems that don't really come up until a little bit later when they realize, oh, normal people aren't broken like this? Okay, let me, uh, let me go submit some paperwork. And it's a really you know, difficult process because, one, they don't know what the heck they're doing. And two, they don't really know how to prove that it's service-connected and all that. And the longer you go... Um, without submitting that paperwork, the harder it is to prove that it was service-connected. So while you're in the Navy, for me, while I was in the Navy, um, it was really easy to prove what conditions were service-related and what weren't, what wasn't, because I was still in the service. So anything new is obviously service-connected because I'm still in. It's not from something outside. Um, and they compare that to the physical that you do right when you get in. Um, so if it's something that wasn't on the physical when you came in, and now it's on your physical now, um, well, that's how you prove, oh yeah, okay, this is service-connected. Um, so it makes the process super easy. Um, however, if you get out and you wait, you know, a lot of, a lot of Vietnam veterans, you know, had trouble with this. They waited 20-something years you know, before they, before they said, all right, this is, this is kind of getting ridiculous. I wonder if I can get benefits. And you have that 20 year time frame where you're not in the military, where all these injuries could have happened. And now you have to prove that, no, these injuries didn't ha happen in this 20 year time span that I was out of the military. They happened while I was in. Um, so that's why they changed it because it's been a real big pain. Um, to try to get benefits. Um, I will say that in the, in the recent years, probably due to all the scandals, um, the VA is definitely trying to get it together and at least make their process easier. Um, and I think that's the way they should go. I don't think they should add more programs and more incentives and more benefits. I think they should just make their current benefits, um, at least the process simpler um, in order to get them um, more easily understood, the information readily available. Um, and yeah, I mean, I guess easier, easier to access 
Uh, I think that's really where the VA should focus their attention is making their benefits easy to access for those that do qualify for them. Um, because I'm, I'm doing this on my own and pretending to be you, um, I don't know if that answered the question at all because uh, I'm kind of just rambling. So, um, yeah, uh, for those listening, um, if that made no sense to you, uh, I'm sorry. Oh, it's fine. I'm sure they won't mind. Now tell me, and I'm no expert, I hear a lot of mixed reviews about the VA. Some swear by it, um, like like you seem to do. Um, especially with the more reforms coming out and others find it impossible. Um, what, what would you say um, contributes to this varying opinion? Um, so the problems that everybody has is it's really not ever with the education piece. It's usually with the healthcare. Um, aspect, and that's because one, it's it's a government-run program. Um, it's it's um, I mean, it's government medicine, which if you haven't experienced, is kind of it's kind of a pain. Um, I came from a medical background in the Navy, so I know exactly how government medicine works. I know I know the workarounds, I know the things I need to say, I know the processes. Um, so it's easier for me to understand and not get so not get so frustrated with the process. But I think it really is the process is how is what frustrates people, not necessarily the quality of care. Um, so in a lot of private healthcare systems you can kind of choose um, who you want to see. Like, you don't need to go through a bunch of hoops to get imaging done, or you don't need to go through a bunch of hoops to, you know, see an ortho specialist or whatever. I mean, a lot of times you just make an appointment. Um, but because the VA is a government-run um, system, um, Everybody kind of goes through a vetting process through their primary care provider, um, so their their regular everyday doctor, um, and you have to be referred to any any sort of specialty, any sort of imaging, any sort of anything like that. Um, so it's it's kind of a lot of hoops to jump through, and they ha- and they have to go through their own specific processes um, to see if you even are eligible to go see that specialist. So say for, say if you're having trouble sleeping, a lot of, um, you know, these providers won't just say, okay, here, go see see a sleep specialist. Or you can't just go and make your own appointment with a sleep specialist. No, you you have to talk with your provider. You have to go through a a little treatment plan first. You have to do your sleep hygiene. Uh, You have to change your habits and you have to prove that, that these habit change, that this habit changing is not helping at all. Um, and then from there, then she could be, the provider can be like, yeah, okay, now you can co- go see a specialist. I'll give you a referral. And then you have to find, or you have to wait for that specialist to call you and then set up an appointment and it's usually backlogged. So the process just takes a long time and it's kind of a pain in the butt. Um, for me, I know the things that I need to do beforehand, you know, like, so it's been easy for me to go see a specialist because I know the things that, you know, the healthcare provider is going to ask and going to want me to do. So I'll do them beforehand and I'll prove that, okay, this is what I've done. Here's my logs. Here's everything. Can I see a specialist now? And they don't have to go through, you know, this long process because I've already done the process. Um, so for people like that or for people that really don't necessarily need a lot of complicated work, um, it's an easy process. Like, it's it's great. Uh, for people that don't understand the system, which most people don't, and that's, that's fine, um, but for the people that don't understand the system and, you know, are requiring specialists, especially with all, you know, 
ortho issues and mental health and all that stuff. Um, and actually a lot of older patients um, with, I mean, you know, just endocrinology and all their other things that they, all their other maladies that they develop. Um, it's definitely a much more frustrating process because you have to jump through the hoops. Um, so that's what I will say is a large reason for um, the difference of opinion. Now, there's other, you know, very um, more scandalous, you know, things such as, you know, veterans dying while waiting for, you know, their specialists, you know, or, you know, waiting for whatever just to get an appointment. And I believe a lot of those happen in more um, more dense populations um, where the hospital might be a little overworked. Um, I really believe that, that that's probably a big reason. Um, but for a place where, you know, it's well-staffed, um, where other clinics have opened up to kind of share the load, I think the process is pretty smooth. I don't, I don't think, um, yeah, I don't, I don't think many people around, say around here in, in Melbourne, Palm Bay, have many, many issues with the VA healthcare system here. Um, because, yeah, we have that new clinic in Vieira. Uh, another one just opened in Palm Bay. Um, so they're, I mean, they're sharing the load and they're doing a pretty good job at being, you know, at efficiently treating patients. So, um, yeah, I would say it's the process, you know, it's just the way that socialized medicine is kind of set up. Um, and it's very dependent on what location you're at. Oh yes, yes, yes. That is a that's very good insight. Very good insight. You are both a scholar and an absolute genius. Uh, hmm. Oh well, uh, we're almost done with this interview. But but I want to again. I want to go back because all of my questions that I texted you were all out of order. And um, yes, so let's let's backtrack. Um, you had talked about um, this week-long course that you had gone through before you before you left the military that that you say you had to go through tell us about that oh oh yes um so that's called it's called taps i think it's still called that seps and taps is what we called it um i don't remember what seps stood for but taps stood for transition assistance program yeah i don't know what the s is for i think just probably because the military is kind of stupid and they add random letters and sounds. Um, but anyway, uh, so yeah, that's that, that's that, um, that course that I was telling you about. So it's a week long course, um, that kind of gives everybody tips on what to, or programs that are available and kind of how to have a successful transition. Um, it's very dull and it's mandatory and a lot of people don't want to be there necessarily just because it's kind of a it's not very exciting and it has your writing resumes which is a really great skill and something that you absolutely need but it's not something you realize you absolutely need until you get out and need one um, so people that are transitioning out aren't really interested in the resume writing because they've never needed one um, so it consists of um, there's a representative that comes from the VA that goes over kind of the big overarching programs, what the VA can provide and all that. Um, and then they have a workshop from the Department of Labor. They have a representative come from the Department of Labor, um, teach us how to write a resume, show us where to, you know, um, apply for government jobs and all sorts of stuff like that. Um, and that's kind of what... I mean, that's that's really what it is. Um, it's showing your benefits and um, what you have, what you don't, what's going to expire. Like when your TRICARE healthcare expires, um, which isn't, you know, you have a little grace period after your um, 
after you get out to give you enough time to get your own health care and your own health insurance. Um, anyway, that and the Department of Labor um, piece, that kind of just shows you how to get employed. Um, what it doesn't... So in my, ex my experience with, with that, um, it was very uninteresting. Um, and the, the course pretty much taught you how to get a job, but not really how to get a job that you want, you know, not really how to, you know, yeah, I don't know. I don't really know how to explain that. Um, like for people that wanted to start their own business and want to get into that, there was nothing about, you know, there was nothing about that. Um, for people that, um, maybe wanted to get into more complex, you know, fields, um, there was nothing about that because nobody there had the experience to be able to talk about that. Um, it was all just very generic information of how to get a job, like how to write a resume and this is where they post federal jobs, all that stuff. And yeah, and that was about it. Um, I wouldn't say... I wouldn't say that that class was entirely all that helpful, not for me at least. Um, one, because I don't really remember, you know, all that the class entailed because nobody was really interested in it and it was super boring. Um, but also because a lot of people that get out, they, they go straight into school and they're not, not really worried about getting a job just yet. Um, or when they get out, it's because they already have a job lined up. So it's, you know, it's it's kind of whatever. Um, I think the most helpful tool for transitioning isn't actually that class. I think it's the, I think it's applying for your health care benefits and your, and, you know, your disability ratings while you're still in. I think that was the most helpful thing. Um, and also the other... Um, the other programs and other entities that um, exist that you can use when you get out, like like I don't know, like the vet centers um, and all the other not-for-profit organizations for veterans. Um, I think those are the most helpful things, and I think the only thing that I really took away from that TAPS class was. One, I had to write a resume, so I had a baseline for when I actually needed it. Um, and two, it showed me that there were a lot of veterans' benefits to look into later once I'm already out. Um, you know, and they give you pamphlets and stuff for you and, and reference material. So as long as you keep that and you're serious about it, you know, you can look back and actually get, honestly, actually get the help you need. Um, but that probably could have been like a two-day course. It didn't need to be a whole week. Um, but on the other hand, they do that for a reason, um, so that nobody can say, oh, well, I didn't know, I didn't know how to get a job. The military didn't prepare me for that. They didn't do anything, you know? Um, now, since it's mandatory, the military can be like, oh, no, that's, uh, that's not true. Actually, you went through a week long, super, super awesome course, um, to teach you how to do that. So that's the transition assistance program. Um, at least my take on it, my experience, you know, it really also depends on who's teaching it, you know, what representative comes, what, who, who runs that office. Um, so they have, you know, that transition office on, I think just about every base, um, at least all, all the big ones, uh, the satellite, you know, little satellite bases probably don't, but, you know, at least all the main ones, which, everybody's based out of, um, has those. So it really depends on who runs those too. Um, I would say that that determines the quality of your class. Um, yeah, so that's what I'll say about that. Well, thank you. Thank you. Um, I believe that that is all the questions that we had for today. So I want to thank you, Tyler, for taking your time to, one, answer my questions, and two, pretend to be me. Oh, yeah. Anytime. Anytime. I'll, uh, anytime you need me to pretend that you're a British woman with a high, high accent, then, um, 
yeah, just uh, call on me and I'll uh, I'll be there. Well, aren't you a doll? Well, thank you for listening to Best Brother in the World. If you like what you heard, um, well, don't like and don't subscribe because honestly, this will probably be the one and only recording. Hmm. So I guess you're out of luck. In the meantime, if you did like this, uh, make sure to tell your teacher, Savannah McKay, that her brother is amazing, wonderful, and the best person that has ever existed other than Jesus himself. Um, yes. So, toodles!